Well, today is the third Sunday of Advent. And each week I've tried in uh, some small way to introduce you to different aspects of Advent that might not be familiar to you. Such an, as the idea of a Christian calendar that actually begins with Advent. Uh, now, due to the focus of Advent on the coming, the new, the new baby Jesus making His entrance into the world, the new birth for you and I as Christians as we allow Christ to come into our hearts anew, the new heavens and the earth, new earth when we'll celebrate the second coming, because of all of the newness, they decided that Advent would be a good time to start the Christian calendar. Now, last Sunday, in an attempt to answer the question, what is Advent? I emphasized the importance of seeing Advent as a time, a season of preparation that attempts to balance the two elements of remembrance and anticipation. And the last two Sundays, the first two Sundays of Advent, we focused on the return of Christ for which we saw we need to be prepared, for which we need to make things ready. And that was the two parables that we used uh, in our message as our text. Today and next Sunday, we'll look back. We're going to look back. Now, I've asked Rich to pass out something for each of you. And you can choose. Uh, you get to make a choice. You can sort it already in either plain or peanut. So uh, as Rich comes around, uh, Advent is a rather strange mixture. It begins with a major focus that looks forward, anticipating the return of Christ, Christ bringing the new heavens and the new earth with a bride that's adorned coming down out of heaven from God. Yes? God coming as the loud voice from the throne in Revelation 21.3 calls out, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. In other words, when we get to life after life after death, now I know that sounds strange, but life after death is the in-between period that we don't really know a lot about. But after that life after death, we're told that there's going to be a day and the Lord's going to return and that's going to be the end of time. And judgment's going to happen. And then Revelation says, we're not going to go to heaven. Read carefully. Revelation says God is going to come and dwell with us with a new heaven and a new earth. Now today and next Sunday, we're going to address that second major focus of Advent because Advent combines the anticipation with remembrance. And so we're going to look back, remembering, recalling, Rehearsing the stories concerning the birth of Jesus. 
We're going to look back to the coming of God into the world in the flesh. What's known as the Incarnation. And there are many things, many elements, many parts of the story that come together in a rather strange concoction. A combination. A mixture that really needs a little sorting. And sometimes that's not always easy. Let me give you an illustration. When we had our trunk or treat out here on Halloween that Sunday evening, there were leftover M&Ms. And so I took, I love M&Ms, I love chocolate. I even like, I won a contest at camp one time that Paul Dyke had to see, were you there that way? I think you were, because I'm sure it was a high school week. He had a contest to see who could eat Baker's chocolate the fastest. A hunk of unsweetened Baker's chocolate. Now I'm going to tell you, you get that in your mouth and your mouth is instantly dry. But I won. I love chocolate. And I really love the dark chocolate the best. But I took that bag of M&M's back to my office and I opened it up and I poured them out. And before long, I looked down and guess what? They were sorted according to colors on my desk. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. I was sitting there reading, doodling, looking at the computer screen, doing work. And I looked down and there they were, sorted. Have you ever had some things mixed together that needed to be separated? And it might even have been a pain to separate them. Or it might have been fun. For instance, the M&M's. I used M&M's when I was teaching elementary school to teach my students how to do a bar graph. And I gave them each, not one of these little bags, and, and you can either eat this or you can hold on to it as a reminder of today's message. But I, I used it to show them how to separate and how to compare and how to make a bar graph. And then, the fun of it was they got to enjoy the candy once I checked their bar graph to make sure that it was okay. And we talked about things like, on this paper, for instance, what color did you have the most of? How many greens and blues did you have? So they had to add. What is the difference between blue and yellow? So they had to subtract. Write and solve a word problem using the information. So it was a way to use something to sort it, to learn how to analyze it, but then to enjoy it by eating the M&Ms. The story of Jesus' birth also combines some elements that need careful sorting. For example, was Jesus born on December the 25th? Probably not. 
I would venture to say that most Christians today probably can't imagine Christmas on any other day than December the 25th. But it wasn't always that way. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but for the first three centuries of Christianity's existence, Jesus' birth wasn't even celebrated. The religion's most significant holidays during that time were what was known as the Epiphany on January 6th, the, the supposed date that the Magi, the wise men, arrived, and the Resurrection. And the first mention of December the 25th as a holiday honoring Jesus' birthday doesn't even appear in a calendar until it appears in a Roman calendar in the year 336 A.D. Remember, only two of our Gospels, Matthew and Luke, even include or begin with the birth of Jesus. Mark has nothing about the birth of Jesus. And John only has the line that we have used as, as the opening screen that's up there. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. No. The Bible doesn't mention His exact birthday. And the nativity story contains conflicting clues. For instance, the presence of the shepherds and sheep, they actually suggest a spring date being out in the fields. So, so, well, when did church officials settle on December 25th and why? Well, it appears that it wasn't until somewhere near the end of the 3rd century, the late 200s, and it was that they wanted to take over celebrations of the birth of the Son. S-U-N, not S-O-N. And so they chose the date to coincide with the existing pagan festivals honoring Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture, and Mithra, the Persian god of light. That way, it became easier to convince Rome's pagan subjects to accept Christianity as the empire's official religion. The birth of the sun, S-O-N. Or what about nativity sets? I mean, there they are. There they are. How many of your nativity sets have the wise men in them? Every one of them, usually. And you realize, don't you, I hope, that it wasn't until probably close to two years later when the wise men got there. Two years. Remember Herod asking the wise men when they saw the star and started their journey? And when, because of that information, Herod ordered all males two years and younger to be slaughtered? And the wise men were told in Matthew 2. The wise men went into a house to see the child. They didn't go into the manger. They went into a house to see what the Bible says is a child, a pideon. That's a very young child, up to seven years old. They didn't go to the manger where we're told that Mary wrapped her baby, her brephos, a very small infant baby. In fact, even a word used to describe a child that's still unborn. 
We've got to sort things out. Read carefully. And where's the red dragon? It's not over there. It's not back there. Where's the red dragon? Because, listen to God's Word. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant, and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head, on his heads with seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who's Revelation 12 talking about? Mary and the birth of the Son. And Satan in his demonic way trying to destroy that baby. Well, I'm, I'm fairly sure that the parable that I'm going to use today, a parable Jesus shares about some things being mixed together, has never been used as an Advent parable. And that's okay. It's a parable as are most of the others dealing with the kingdom of heaven. But isn't the birth of Jesus really an important story about the kingdom? About the birth of a king? A very important kingdom event. And we're able to get away from the unusual mixture of elements since Jesus is God in the flesh. The difficult combinations to understand that occur in the Gospels together. In his book, How God Became King, the forgotten story of the Gospels, N.T. Wright reminds us one way and another. All three synoptic Gospels are clear. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In telling the story of Jesus, they are consciously telling the story of how Israel's God came back to His people in judgment and mercy. Came to be the Messiah. King Jesus. Now, before we move into our text though, look again at the question asked by the Magi as they came to Jerusalem, the capital, where information regarding a king would surely be known. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Let me read the short parables. Actually, you get three today for the price of one. Let me read the short parables and then make just a few comments. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 34. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed. He sowed it in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Bad break in my slide, sorry. So when the plants came up and bore grain, 
Then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. I'm going back. I want to be left behind. I'm not kidding. Some of the worst damage to the church in my lifetime has been done by those who have promulgated the belief that there's going to be a rapture and that the church is going to be called up that didn't even come into church history until the 1800s. Jesus doesn't talk about the church being called up. Who gets gathered first? Gather the weeds first. Put them in the bundles to be burned. I want to be left behind. I don't want to get gathered up with the weeds and burned. Let me go on. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all of the seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word this morning. This parable and the explanation that Jesus gives for it just a few verses later that you can go and read later addresses a question that followers of Jesus probably had at that time and that many of us still have today. And the question is this, why doesn't God just take sinners right away? Get rid of the weeds. Get rid of the pain and suffering. Get rid of the tornadoes and destruction. Again, I like what N.T. Wright has written. The power of the gospel lies in the powerful announcement that God is God, that Jesus is Lord, and that the powers of evil have been destroyed. That's God's new world has begun. Jesus doesn't give an explanation for the pain and sorrow of the world. He comes where the pain is most acute and takes it upon Himself. Jesus doesn't explain why there is suffering, illness, and death in the world. He brings healing and hope. He doesn't allow the problem of evil to, the, to be the subject of a seminar. He allows evil to do its worst to Him. He exhausts it, drains its power, and emerges with new life. I love that. 
<laughs> last night, Jesse and I, we laughed and laughed. We were supposed to be getting ready to go to sleep. But when I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and using the water pick, I uh, had my phone on and I was listening to that song, beautiful song, Mary Did You Know. What a work of art by somebody that I always thought was mostly a comedian. Kind of like the who would ever believe that Gomer Pyle can sing the way that Jim Neighbors does? Who would ever believe that Mark Lowry, the comedian, could write a song like Mary Did You Know? But he was telling he was telling the audience about it. And we were laughing and laughing. And, and he was talking about how Jesus breaks in to do the unusual at times. And he said, for instance, think about Lazarus. Lazarus has died. He's already gone to paradise. And all of a sudden, he hears Jesus' voice. Lazarus. What? Lord, you're not going to call me back to earth. I'm enjoying the beauties of my reward. You know, think about it. I've often said, and you'll hear me say it till my dying breath, there are a lot of things that are worse than death. I'm not afraid of death. I wouldn't mind if it happened very quickly. I would love if the Lord would come back today. Jesus gives us a promise of new life. You see, and this is my emphasis this morning. The truth about the baby in the manger is announced in the blessing of Simeon. You remember the story of Simeon? The elderly man that was there in the temple when, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus, baby Jesus, to the temple for the required purification. Eight days old. Simeon, who's described as a righteous and devout man, who had been promised that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died, he spoke a word of thanksgiving. He gave a blessing. But then also, he took the baby Jesus in his arms and he proclaimed, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. I think he probably paused and looked right at Mary and Joseph. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. From his presentation in the temple to what Jesus is saying in the parable that we just read. The first reality that you and I need to notice is that a significant sorting of the kingdom is going to take place. And one of the realities that we must understand is that there is always going to be some who are followers of Jesus. Children of the kingdom who have sufficiently prepared their soil in order for the seed that's sown to produce abundantly. But... 
There will also be those who are not followers of Jesus. And these are children of the evil one. And here is the sad truth. This is a significant part of Jesus' parable. The tares, the weeds, they look like and talk like Christians. Though they're truly weeds. You see, most agree that the weeds that Jesus is referring to was known as darnel. D-A-R-N-E-L. Which as a young plant is at first indistinguishable from wheat. And just as in the story Jesus told, the wheat and the weeds are often superficially similar in appearance and they're sown too close to each other and the closeness produces an intermingling in their root systems that makes it difficult to sort them. For the wheat or weeds to be pulled up separately and in the same manner we often find that God's people have allowed themselves outwardly to be hard to distinguish from his enemies. And so the fact remains that what is identified as the weeds can be too interconnected with the wheat in society for anyone to try to purify the world from evil without hurting those who are good. The children of the kingdom and the children of the evil one are mixed together on the harvest field of the earth. And they're mixed up like wheat and weeds in the parable. However, God does have a time of harvest planned at the end of human civilization as we know it. And what we looked at during the first two weeks of Advent, the second coming of our Lord and Savior, at that time, all of the weeds will be gathered first and thrown into the fire to be burned. And the saints will be left behind and enjoy the gifts of the new heaven and the earth. All of the children of God will be separated and experience great joy. The joy of the Father, the parable says. While all the children of the evil one will be separated and experience great judgment. I chose to read two more short parables today. Because I believe as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, we also need to realize that a small dose of the kingdom has great power. Again, I quote N.T. Wright. What we learn to read, when we learn to read the story of Jesus and see it as the story of the love of God, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, that insight produces again and again a sense of astonished gratitude, which is very near the heart of authentic Christian experience. In the parables. Jesus chose a mustard seed that becomes a great protective tree. He chose a little leaven that penetrates the dough until the dough is magnified many times over. I love to watch my older sister, Beth. I love to watch her make yeast rolls. And she'll get that yeast in there and then she'll put them where they can rise and then she'll prick them and poke them until they're all flat again and let them rise again. She said you have to do it three times. And I believe her because I've eaten the product of her cooking. 
best yeast rolls. Uh, I, my mouth's watering right now just trying to talk about them. A small seed. A small amount of yeast. And in the story of the birth of Jesus, there's also a sense in which a small, humble beginning results in a great kingdom with great power. Listen as I share a few selective lines from what is titled, It Began in a Manger by Max Lucado. I hope you're familiar with Max Lucado. Tremendous Christian writer. Here's what he has written. God had entered the world as a baby. Yet, were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks like all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. A more lonely place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt in amazement. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone's dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. He still hasn't figured it all out. What's important is that the baby is fine and Mary is safe. And as sleep comes, he remembers the name the angel told him to use. Jesus. We'll call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. She looks into the face of the baby. Her son. Her Lord. Her majesty. At this point in history... The human being who best understands who God is and what He is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. Somehow Mary knows she's holding God. So this is He. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. A small beginning. Great power. A small dose of the kingdom entered into history and the changes that will result speak volumes as to the great power that's broken in. Which brings me to my third and final point. We need to realize that a special message about the kingdom has been proclaimed. The text that we read concluded with the lines, all these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. His method of proclamation was storytelling. Parables. And the stories proclaimed a special message, just as the stories we remember regarding the birth of Jesus. Matthew is pointing us to the fact that it was prophesied that Jesus had secrets about the kingdom of heaven to tell us. Secrets that have been kept secret since the foundation of the world. And one of those secrets that you will discover all throughout the Gospel of Matthew is that the kingdom of God is being accelerated through the message of Jesus. The secret's out. Jesus saves sinners. Now if Simeon was the greeting host at the temple when baby Jesus was presented, we need to recognize Anna as a hostess. An 84-year-old widow 
who had lived in the temple since seven years after she got married when her husband died. A long time. Decades. And she was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And her message? A very special message. That the redemption of Jerusalem had come in that baby that was before her. God had not only chosen the people of Israel, Simeon referred to Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. So you see, the story is that Jesus is calling for disciples from every people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, people who are willing to humble themselves and proclaim repentance. The very explosion of the kingdom was prophesied. And it was fulfilled by God's humble existence and entrance as that baby born of a teenage virgin in a lowly, smelly stable. What might our response be? Well, let's go back to the article in the words of Max Lucado for a second. Here's what he says. For a few precious hours, our heavenly yearnings intermesh and we become a chorus. A ragtag chorus of longshoremen, Boston lawyers, illegal immigrants, housewives, and a thousand other peculiar persons who are banking that Bethlehem's mystery is a reality. Come and behold Him, we sing, stirring even the sleepiest shepherds and pointing them toward the Christ child. So here's my prayer for you this morning in conclusion. It's the response of the shepherds. My prayer is that the response of the shepherds will be your response as you leave here today. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. Folks, we need to get up out of our comfortable pews and quit thinking that sitting in these pews for an hour or an hour and a half each week is what God has called us to do. Yes, we're to come together to worship. But the purpose of our coming together to worship is to be empowered so that we can leave here to serve, to tell the good news, to share the love of God with others. Because just like the parable, there's going to be a sorting. Here's my pain. We talked about this. My pain is that I have close family members who claim to be Christians, who say they know God, who say that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They have all of the appearance of weakness. 
But my fear is that they are darnal. Weeds. Tears. Because they have nothing to do with not only working during the week to tell the good news, they have nothing to do with meeting together with other Christians on Sunday to worship. Let's pray. Father God, the fear of the sorting sometimes tends to make us want to become immobile, paralyzed with fear. And as I shared with Mark and Jean last night, Father, sometimes I fear that I have set the standard so high that I myself will not be included. That I'll be one of those, Father, who says, Lord, Lord, I I was a preacher for You. And I'll hear the words, depart from me. I never knew You. Help us to be empowered by the truth of the power that comes with the baby who came in the humble, lonely manger. But who died, enthroned as the king on the cross. Died and was resurrected to sit at your right hand. Thank you for the coming of the kingdom. Help us to be ready for the sorting that will take place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our song of commitment this morning.